Will you please stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. 
Good morning, Grace Point. If you're here in the sanctuary or at home, welcome. If it's your first time, welcome. It's good to see you. We're just going to keep worshiping this morning. It's a little mellow compared to the full band situation. <laughs> On purpose. I think that we lose the spirit of what we do here in the mornings when we're so used to a wall of sound. So wherever your heart finds you this morning, I pray that here it finds rest as we sing these songs. grew up with this song, so most of you will know it.
This is our incense this morning. This is our worship that we lift up to the King. There are many places you could be right now, but I pray that you find yourself specifically here, emotionally and mentally in this room, because God has things for you this morning. summer and fall seasons I always have to look at Google to figure out when fall actually is it is this week although the 90 degree weather will suggest otherwise <laughs> and um, as I went to put this song up I was just thinking in and out of seasons God is faithful in and out of seasons his love his word remain and no matter what the weather looks like the metaphoric rain or sunshine the heavier things, the lighter things, the celebrations we have. I invite you to be aware of where we have to prioritize our time. What matters, what can wait. That it matters, your soul matters. How you center yourself in Christ matters. How you love people matters. The hustle that's going to come up into the holidays does not matter. It's being fully present and loving here and now, but remembering that God is sovereign and he has the details worked out so you can rest.
increasing great great is your faithfulness to me let's sing that together great is your faithfulness to me from the rising sun to the setting same I'll be before you there are a lot of things we're holding a lot of things that are hard to let go of honestly stuff that we've carried for years recent history COVID history but you're sovereign and you see our hearts and you love us yet the same so this morning I pray for the humility required that we have ears to hear be soft and open that no matter how hard the world is you ask us to be light and love and it starts first in us by letting the light and the love in from you so this morning as pastor bob shares what's on his heart i just pray that we find that humility we love you lord we praise you in your name we pray amen
All right. Well, hey, it's already been a good morning, so I hesitate to say good morning because it's already been a good one. It's good to gather with you. It's good to sing with you. It's good to just be with you. And again, just walking in, just seeing a lot of people hanging out in the courtyard. Uh, it's a good place to be, and uh, that's kind of why we try to uh, put in the coffee shop and put in the, the cushions and put in the TVs. We want you to linger here a little longer. So again, you might think about that. And actually, there's some other plans we're trying to do around our campus. We've got a nice back porch. So this is a place that we want you to, to, to be comfortable with. But having said that, I'm about to make most of you uncomfortable. And uh, so and the reason is uh, we're walking through a, 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 a series through the Gospel of Mark. And if you have your Bible, I hope you bring one. If you don't, we have one free. Just grab one, put your name on it. Now you have one. And uh, every Bible uh, has an index. And uh, if you're relatively new to the Bible, uh, we're so glad you're here. Use the index and find the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the second Gospel of the four Jesus stories on the right side of your Bible uh, in, in the New Testament. We've been in this series for a long time, many months, and uh, we're a little bit over halfway through. There's 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark uh, after Matthew wrote his uh, to the Jewish community making uh, Matthew's case for Christ that Jesus came, lived, died, rose, ascended to be their Messiah, and then uh, he wants more Jewish people to buy in. Well, then Mark writes his gospel, and Jesus came not just for the Jews, but for the rest of us, the Gentiles. And uh, he makes his case, and he uh, starts this letter primarily for those living around the capital city in Rome. And then it circulates beyond there. And so, again, he's making a case for Christ. And uh, so uh, one of the things that we're going to look at through this series is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to say yes or no? But what we really don't want you to do is, is stay in the middle. Stay in the maybe. Uh, honestly, uh, be all in because of who Jesus is and who you believe him to be based on this case that Mark is presenting or literally back off. He doesn't belong in the middle. And so we're, we're in this. And uh, you see Pharisees making their decision. You see Jewish folks back then making their decision. You see a bunch of Gentile folks back then making their decision. And now, now, now it's our turn. But one of the challenges of these Gospels are some of the touchy topics that, he, that he, uh, sometimes he brings up and sometimes they are brought up to him. This is one that is being brought up to him and it's a touchy topic. It's about marriage. It's about divorce. It's about what God thinks and what the world does. And uh, there's not one of you that has not been touched by divorce. That's why it's such a touchy, emotionally sensitive topic. Some of you have been divorced. Some of you have had family members or neighbors or coworkers or someone around you that has walk through that hardship. Divorce is difficult. And so I'm going to be dealing with this sensitively, but honestly, I'm going to be dealing with this biblically. And, uh, and we're going to focus on Jesus' words. I'm going to go a little bit uh, more into some other passages. But I hope and pray you have an open mind. Some of you, you have had some... I would say false guilt on your life. 
Some of you, there's been some real guilt on your life. And I want you to be able to address both this morning. I remember when I was about 30, uh, 31 years ago, and uh, just starting Grace Point Church. And uh, we're living in a house, and things are getting started, and things are exciting. And I've been talking to my mom and dad, and, and then after a while, they stopped returning phone calls. And uh, so what's up with that? And so then uh, I called my oldest brother, Steve. Uh, Steve, have you heard from mom and dad? Uh, not so much. And, uh, well, they're not returning my calls. Well, you keep calling. And, uh, okay. And so I keep calling. Finally, I get my dad on the phone. And he says, well, we're not doing too well. And uh, um, I think we're going to get a divorce. I remember standing when we still had house phones. And, uh, and I'm holding this phone attached to the wall. I remember when I was 30 and my legs started to shake. Some of you, you've had that phone call, you've had that announcement when you were much younger that had to be much harder. But it was really hard at 30. I remember my legs just shaking that this, this shouldn't be happening to us. This can't be happening to them. This, there's, there, there's, there's something wrong about this. Uh, this. And so I lived that somewhat. Some of you, you've lived that more. I do think that there's some healing and then there's some clarifying that God wants this morning. And I hope you all have eyes to see it, ears to hear it. But I'll be honest with you. Some of you, you're coming in on Sunday. You've had a tough week. You just want to sing some songs. You just want to be pumped up with something positive, And then you want to go enjoy your day. And then you walk in, you sit down, you see this topic. Oh, crap, right? Marriage and divorce. Let's just be honest. Oh, come on. Let's not get so he- My life is heavy. Enough. Can't we just go ahead and do something more politically correct, yeah? We're not going to do that because we walk through books of the Bible, passage after passage. But I do believe that there's something for every one of us this morning. There definitely has been some stuff for me. Actually, I talked to my wife earlier this morning. Something just brand new. It's something, you know, you, you, you bring back your soul to the Word of God and you're in a different place. You read it a different way and God reveals what you need to hear. I hope that's for you this morning. So a little bit of context. One thing that I want to do is not just teach this passage. I want to continue to help you understand how to study the Bible better. The the, the big churchy term is hermeneutics. How do we interpret the Bible more accurately? And so this is a great passage to give you an example of how to do it well and not so well. Because honestly, what we're about to read has been used too much irresponsibly as a club to clobber many people, including Christians. And it hurts to hear some of these commentaries, some of these teacher types do this poorly. And so we're going to do this humbly, but I hope you're going to hear more about how do we do this uh, and how do you do this when you read the Bible for yourself more carefully. Uh, So let me give you context. Context is always key. Jesus is asked a question, and it's very important not just to know what he was asked, but why he was asked it and where he was when he was asked it. Always context. If you look at a passage, and it really is difficult. 
You need to ask yourself, what just happened before? What does Jesus say after? And is other passages helpful to understand what this passage means? That's what we're going to do. Let me give you an example about that. So again, in Mark chapter 10, I hope you're there. Let me just go ahead and, and, and bring it up. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. That's huge right there. That's context. And so where have we been? And if you're brand new to our church, you're brand new to this series, you can go back if you want to. All the messages, this whole series is, is recorded online. And, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and kind of ramp up a little bit where we've been because it will be helpful, essential, uh, as to what we're going to be doing this morning. So, and, and, and he left there. Where was the there? It was Capernaum. It was his home after he left from Nazareth uh, where he was raised. So now Jesus, his hub, his home was in Capernaum, which was a major trade route, a commercial city, and he, that's why he wanted to be there. So when he wasn't traveling and, uh, and teaching and, and, and ministering, he was, in, he was in Capernaum. And so you see in the last couple of messages, he's pulling back a little bit from public ministry, and he's doing a little bit more intentional training with the 12. The reason is he knows more and more his days are numbered. Two times so far, he's tried to help the disciples understand that time is short. They've been together for about two and a half years, a little bit under two and a half years. And, uh, and Jesus twice now says, guys, this has been great. I hope you've been learning. I hope you've been listening. I hope that there's been some leadership development going on because soon we're going to go south to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be assaulted. I'm going to be beaten up. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. But in three days, I'm going to be alive again. They don't get it, just like you and I don't get it, because sometimes we miss because we really don't want to hear it. They want the Romans out of Israel. And that's why Jesus came, right, to go ahead and rout us from every oppression, every bully, every problem. And so, by the way, Jesus, yeah, enough of that. So when you rout the Romans, uh, can I be your vice president? Can, can I have the second office on the West Wing? I mean, honestly, who, who's greater here? What's the pecking order here? And, and literally, they were missing what Jesus was saying. So then Jesus more and more is thinking, guys, I need more time with you. And so he pulls away from the, the crowd more and more, and he's training the 12. And so now he is moving from Capernaum, and he's been going south and north, south and north. It's about 70 miles from the Sea of Galilee down to, down to the northern part of the Dead Sea. He's been doing this for, 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 for a long time. This is the last time. Jesus knows it. He's going to go down there, and now this is a one-way trip. And now... He's not coming out of Jerusalem alive. Uh, he's going to be carried out, and he's going to be buried. And he knows that. So he's, he's focusing in on the, the, the 12. And a uh, little bit more of, of context here, uh, the Pharisees. This is a case for Christ. You are making your decision. The Pharisees, most of them, they've already made their decision. Jesus has to go. He has to die. He's messing with our religion. He's causing too much confusion. He's from the devil. He has to go. So literally, they have been already planning not just how to uh, criticize him, but literally, how do we get him killed? Now, they can't because they're under Roman oppression. And the only uh, possibility of a capital punishment that leads to death is if the Romans do it. 
So the Jews are thinking, how do we get the Romans so ticked off that they do what we want them to do? And so the Pharisees are thinking, how do we get Jesus in trouble to the point where he gets arrested? And then he gets tried, and then he gets executed by the Roman establishment. So then they're thinking, when he comes down south, what can we ask him to get him in trouble? This is huge. Because they're thinking through, what can we say that would divide the people listening, but even more than that, would get him arrested, and then we can deal with them behind bars? And so they're thinking of a question, and they came up with one. That's context. Take a look now. So, and he left there, Capernaum, and he went down to the region of Judea. That's the county. That's the region where Jerusalem, Bethlehem uh, is located. Uh, so he goes from Galilee down to Judea, and then he is beyond the Jordan. Uh, if you have your Bible, underline beyond the Jordan, because years from now, you're not going to remember this, but you might remember something because you underlined it. This is context. And so Jesus is in Judea, no longer in Galilee, and he is beyond the Jordan. So again, where we've been so far is that you have Israel, not that large. It's about the size of New Jersey, okay? And, uh, and so then you have uh, Galilee up north, then you have Samaria in the middle, and then you have Judea down south. Three primary regions, okay? And then you have three bodies of water. You have the Sea of Galilee up north, then you have the Jordan River, and then you have the Dead Sea down south. And typically, what the Jews would do to go from north to south, which they do a lot, is they go around Samaria. So typically, what they would do is that they would start in Capernaum, they start in these uh, sea towns around the Sea of Galilee, and they'd go across uh, east of the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, then they'd head down on the east side of the Jordan River, and then they would get to what is called beyond the Jordan, east of the Jordan, just north of, of the Dead Sea. Then they'd cross right around Jericho, and then they'd go about 20 miles into Jerusalem. That's what they would do. If you, some of you know the Jesus stories, uh, there were times when Jesus didn't do the normal route. He went the straight route because he wanted to go through Samaria because Jesus came to forgive them of their sins too. And so, but this time he doesn't. Why? Well, because of this, this private training that he wants to do with the 12. So he's not doing the, 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 the ministry route. He's doing the training route. And so he starts in Capernaum. He goes around the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. He goes south, modern-day Jordan, on the east side of Israel. And then he gets down just north of the Dead Sea, where it's called Beyond the Jordan. Hold that, uh, because I'm going to bring that up in just a minute. And so down here, he's finally in the region of Judea, and crowds gather to him again. Of course, everywhere he goes. He's been ministering and, and doing miracles and talking about the kingdom of God uh, for, for several years now. And so everywhere he goes, masses want to hear more. They just might even get a free lunch, right? And, uh, and, and again, as, as was his custom, he taught them. Here it is, verse 2. Some of you are getting real nervous. It took 10 minutes for one verse. Okay, so, yeah. So verse 2. And the Pharisees uh, came up in order to test him. 
And then they asked him this question. That's huge. See, the Pharisees were not wanting to grow. They're not wanting to learn. They're wanting to gather information, ammunition to get Jesus in trouble and get him arrested. Get him out of there. So they're they're having their little uh, huddle, and they're thinking, what can we ask him to divide the people and to get them in trouble with the Romans? We can ask him about, about this. Oh, I got it. I got it. Let's go that, what do you think about men divorcing their wives? Oh, we got them there. And because there's two reasons for that. And that's exactly what this is. Pharisees came up in order to test him and ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, again, I'm going to push pause here for a second because some of you, you are asking God some good questions. And you're not getting a clear answer. Jesus does not give these Pharisees a clear answer. You know why? They're not wanting to learn. They're wanting to go ahead and set Jesus up to get him arrested. Today, if you are asking God, what is your will for my life? Do I do this? Do I do that? If you are going to God and you've already decided what you're going to do, you're not going to hear clearly from him because Jesus doesn't give them a clear word because they are not there to learn they're there to test they're there to argue you remember this is the same Pharisee types where Jesus goes to the west side of the Sea of Galilee he's there for like two minutes right the, the guys haven't even been able to go get some lunch and says guys we're out of here they get back in the boat and they, and they head east because these Pharisees they're not wanting to learn they're not wanting to grow they're just wanting to argue They've already made up their minds. And I'm going to go ahead and move to where hearts are still open. So again, if you have had some silence for a while from Jesus, you just might wonder, do I really want to learn? Or have I already made my mind up and I want his approval? That one was free, okay? Unpause. Now, because this is what this is going to happen right here. They're not wanting to learn. They're wanting just to test him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Let me tell you two ways, two reasons why they're so proud of this question. This question had some, some, some opportunity to get Jesus and his ministry in trouble. So is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? There were two Jewish ideologies that people had to take sides over and, and decide which one they would follow. And so two rabbinical teachings. And uh, one was a guy named Hallel, and one was a guy named Rabbi Shammai, all right? These names don't matter. But what they believe and what people uh, understood does matter. Hallel said, uh, rabbinically, as a teacher, uh, a man can divorce his wife for anything that he would call indecent. So Hallel would say, you know what? If she doesn't make you happy... That means she's indecent, and you can divorce her. Uh, literally, in his writings, if she is not a good cook, that's indecency, and you can divorce. In his writings, if she ever raises her voice so that the neighbors would hear, that's indecent, you can divorce. If you are attracted to another woman 
because you don't feel as appreciated or respected by her. She's indecent. It's her fault, obviously, because you're a man and she's a woman. You can divorce her and you can marry another. That's halal. For anything you can come up with, uh, you can call her indecent. And you can divorce her and, and put her out. Well, Shammai says it differently. The rabbi Shammai says, no, you can't just go ahead and say anything's indecent. There needs to be sexual immorality involved. So if there is sexual unfaithfulness, then you can go ahead and divorce her. Let me tell you something right off the bat. Let me tell you how messed up this culture was. What about the women? You know, we're, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So they're going back to, and again, if you want to, the next, right next to Mark 10, verse 1, write Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. I'll give that to you in a minute. But I just want to highlight the fact, I want you to notice how they ask it and how Jesus answers it a little bit later on. Women had no rights back then. Women can't divorce. They basically are to be stepped on and used. Children and women were just a little bit more valuable than your shovel. They are there to be used by you to get what you want when you want it. And that's why Jesus, counterculture, he elevated women. He valued women. He protected women, and he protected and valued children. You're going to see that next Sunday when the little kids wanted to come see Jesus, and he, they were, shh, shh, get away, get away. And Jesus, guys, you missed the whole thing. Bring them here. And you're, you're going to see more about that. So right off the bat, you see this hint of, 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 of a broken culture. And I want you to remember that because Jesus switches it in a minute. So again, they don't even think about what a woman wants. It doesn't matter. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? We know what Hillel says. Basically, if she burns your toast, she's out. Shammai says, if she is sexually unfaithful, she's out. Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Back then, statistically, about a vast majority of the men who basically had all the power, sadly, guess who they liked? They liked the Hillel guy. If she doesn't make me happy, she really can't get a job. She needs to put up with me, and she better make me happy or she's out because I can call anything indecent. Most men agreed with Hillel. Very few, statistically, numerically, believe with Shammai, who basically said, yeah, the list is a lot smaller. Sexual unfaithfulness is what would trigger you to go ahead and divorce her. So the Pharisees thought, we know how to get Jesus. Most of the men listening in this crowd are going to like Hillel. Most likely, Jesus is not going to go the Hillel route. He's going to go the Shammai route. He's not going to say, you guys can divorce for anything. And so the guy's going to say, I'm out. You're not hearing. I'm, you're not saying what I want you to hear. I think I'll find a different path. But that was the lesser reason. Definitely that was there. Uh, but here's, I think, why the Pharisees were so hopeful. You remember where Jesus is? He's in Judea, just about 20 miles east of Jerusalem. He's coming down. He's going in, and they're trying to set him up. This is the first time that the rabbis, the Pharisees, intentionally try to get him. And it's, it, and it's to get him in trouble with the Romans. So I, I told you to underline beyond the Jordan. This is the place where John the Baptist got in trouble earlier. 
So John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, and he was the introducer to the Savior for the Jewish community. So John the Baptist comes in and says, guys, get your hearts right. He's coming. I am to introduce you to him. I mean, honestly, prepare your hearts as a highway for the Lord. Get the rocks out. Get the, get the stubbornness out and open your lives. Clean out your gutters and prepare for the coming king. So that's, that's John the Baptist. Well, his ministry is going well. But the Pharisees didn't like John the Baptist. So the Pharisees needed to get rid of him before Jesus showed up in his public ministry. So then they don't like John. They definitely don't like Jesus. For a little while, John the Baptist and Jesus were were walking, ministering parallel. But then all of a sudden, John the Baptist gets arrested. And I'm sure they get prayed, oh, God, free John the Baptist. He isn't freed. He's beheaded in a Roman prison. Why? Well, we talked a little bit about that last Sunday. See, John the Baptist was a confronter. And John the Baptist, most likely, he was asked. We don't know if he was specifically asked or he just kind of had and shared it on his own. But he publicly criticized one of Herod the Great's sons, Herod Antipas, who was in charge of one of the regions in Israel. And if you do that, you're going to get in trouble with the government. And so my guess is they wanted John the Baptist out. They wanted him removed. They wanted him arrested. My guess is beyond the Jordan where John the Baptist had this ministry, he was asked, "Uh, John, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I bet you John the Baptist just bit into that and basically declared what Herod Antipas was doing with Herodias was sin because what was going on was Philip Antipas was married and his brother Philip was married. But Philip Antipas didn't like his wife anymore but had the hots for Philip's wife and Philip's wife was named Herodias. And so uh, Antipas divorced his wife because he had the hots for Herodias. And my guess is he went to Philip because uh, Herod Antipas was more powerful. It was the pecking order back then. Guess what, Philip? I like your wife. She likes me. You're going to divorce her. I'm going to marry her. And you're going to be okay with that. And Philip said, okay. So Philip and Herodias divorced. Or it could have been Herodias just does it on her own. But we do know that Philip and Herodias divorce. We do know that Herod Antipas and his first wife divorce. And then we do know that Herod Antipas marries Herodias. And then John the Baptist is asked, what do you think about that? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Because we know what the Bible says. And we do know that that is the specific reason why John the Baptist was arrested, because he accused Herod Antipas of sin, marrying his brother's wife. And then when he was in prison, Herodias says, how dare you judge me? How dare you say I've done anything wrong? And it was Herodias that got John the Baptist beheaded. And it was Herodias that put John the Baptist's head on a platter and brought it to a party. You talk about a frustrated, angry woman. Don't mess with me. Here's what's important for us to understand contextually. Herod and Tippus and Herodias, they're still around. They're still in power. Uh, excuse me, Jesus. Is it, uh, is it okay 
for a man to divorce his wife. They wanted to set Jesus up to go ahead and let him say something against those that were placed in power by the Roman establishment. And if Jesus would have mentioned uh, that that would have been wrong, especially like John the Baptist and mentioned Herodias or Herodias and, and Antipas by name, he'd be done that day. Jesus was very crafty. He was wise. He was discerning. And uh, he, didn't take, he didn't take the bait. Let's keep going here. Mark 10, all that was two verses. Are you nervous yet? Yeah. So let's take a look at Mark 10, verse 3. So is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And, uh, and everybody knew uh, what was going on politically and what caused John the Baptist to be removed when he was ministering beyond the Jordan. Mark 10, verse 3. He answered them, this is Jesus. What did Moses command you? Let's just go back to what Moses. Moses recorded after God revealed it to him the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, uh, and Deuteronomy 24 is where we're going to go in just a minute. So he answered, Jesus, uh, let me answer your question with a question. What did Moses command you? And they said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, you know why Moses, uh, you know, said that? Uh, it was because of your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment. And there's something subtle in here I don't want you to miss. Notice the word command and notice the word allowed. And notice who said which. The first one is, what did Moses command you? Back then and today, God never commands divorce. But when people divorce, God always wants to protect the more innocent. And you see this here. What did Moses command you? Well, Moses allowed, it was optional, but he kind of gave us the opportunity uh, for a man to write a writ or a certificate of divorce and then send her away. In verse 5, and Jesus said, you know why he had to command you back then, these men uh, that in spite would like to go ahead and live with and sleep with and, and do whatever with someone else and then throw their wife to a curb and basically in spite not give her legal freedom to move on. So the commandment was not to get divorced. The command was if you divorce, you must give her a writ of divorce, a certificate of divorce, so that she can be free legally to rebuild a life and to even possibly remarry. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you. Guys, because of our hardness of heart, God has to work with broken people and not stick with his ideal. God's ideal will isn't done on this broken world. Even Jesus said that. He taught us to pray, God, may your will be done more on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a lot of stuff down here that is not God's ideal will that he does allow. So yes, he does uh, want to protect, but never believe that divorce is what God commands. And we're going to talk a lot more about that in a minute. And Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this co com commandment. Let's go back to about 1400 B.C. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy basically is three sermons given to a new Jewish generation before they go into the promised land after 40 years wandering in the wilderness, okay? And so this is Deuteronomy. 
And uh, so Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Let me give this to you because this is the, the, the rub of, of Hillel and Shammai. Look at Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And so this is Moses giving God's law the second time, Deuteronomy, second law, second time to a new generation going into the promised land. Deuteronomy 24, 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, and here it is, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, a certificate is non-optional, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. I want you to see something, a couple of things in here, is that uh, when she doesn't find favor because he has found some indecency. That was the two ideologies. Some Hillel people said, anything I deem indecent, I can go ahead and divorce over. That's bad context. Because back in Deuteronomy 22, because Deuteronomy 24 is chapter 24. There's a lot said before that. And this was rough stuff back then. This was the Wild West, and God was trying to go ahead and do some protecting here. So he used some severe language here. And, uh, but literally, in Deuteronomy 22, it's, it's the indecency is sexual immorality. And so uh, back then, uh, it was not sin to go ahead and divorce because of sexual infidelity, immorality, unfaithfulness. And that's the issue. But again, if you just start with verse 1 of chapter 24 and take it out of context, you can call anything indecent, and that was the problem. And, uh, but when you divorce, uh, you need to go ahead and give her this certificate. So again, back to Mark chapter 10, 3 through 5. So again, Moses says, because of your heart and your heart, because you're going to go ahead and in spite uh, not make sure she can move on, uh, you must give her this certificate of divorce. All right, all that to say is now on your outlines, write down a couple things. I'm going to give you three truths from this Judean trap, and then I'm going to give you some more practical stuff towards the end. But here's the first one, three truths from a Judean trap. In the Old Testament, divorce is sadly permissible to protect her. That, that's the point. Back then, and many times sadly today, women and children are abused. They are taken advantage of. And God said, listen, you're asking me, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I'm going to ask you a question. What does Moses say? And then they go after this certificate. And, Moses, and Jesus says, it's because of your hardness of heart that God had to mandate that you give her this document legally so that she can go ahead and move on and, uh, and remarry and have a life apart from you and be out from under you legally. And uh, so, again, I want you to see that what God said and what Jesus emphasized was basically, yes, it's permissible uh, with certain guidelines, and in this context, sexual infidelity, um, but... How you do it is to protect the ones who can't protect themselves. So that's one. In Old Testament, divorce was sadly permissible to protect her. That's what Jesus went after. And uh, he didn't specifically answer their question, but he raised an issue because Old Testament and New Testament, these men were divorcing their women, but not legally. They were just throwing them to the curb. And they were unable to move on with their life because these men kept having legal issues over them. And uh, Jesus says that that's wrong. 
But, and there's something else as we continue here. Divorce was and is never, back then and today, God's ideal. It was never God's ideal for any divorce to happen. But again, I, I, I said already, God's ideal stopped in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 when sin came in. Now it's an ordeal. And, and, and now we need to walk with God through it until God finally comes and erases all sin. Um, but let me unpack this a little bit more. Where do I get this? Divorce was and is never God's ideal. Take a look now, verse 6, Mark chapter 10, 6 through 9. Notice what Jesus does. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his woman? What does Moses say? Well, Moses says you can, but you've got to give her a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said, you know what? You know why that certificate of divorce is needed? Because of your heart and hearts. Because if you weren't mandated to do it, you wouldn't do it. Because there's something broken in you that wants you to keep making her pay for how she wasn't pleasing you. But then the second one is, it's, it's, it's never God's ideal. What he's saying is, guys, you're asking the wrong question. You're going back to Deuteronomy 24. I want to bring you back to Genesis 2. And again, when you just start after the brokenness, you don't understand why God made marriage in the first place. So you're trying to figure out what to do when it's broken. Let me share with you what it should have been before it was broken. What was God's plan? So again, this is the idea. Divorce was and is never God's ideal. What was God's ideal? This is what Jesus says. Look at Mark 10, 6. But from the beginning of creation, long before sin came in, God made them male and female. It was God's idea. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. That, that one flesh is not a sexual term. It's a, it's, it's a relational term where literally God's math is different than ours. Literally, one plus one equals one. Magically, mysteriously, there, there's some intimacy there, and most marriages never even get close to it. But that's God's ideal for you and for Rhonda and I. This was God's plan. So whatever God has joined together... Let not mankind separate. Divorce is not ever my ideal. I made you to experience this oneness. And, and literally, the closest picture of this mystery trinity thing. Bob, help me with that. You know what? Help me with that, okay? You got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You got three in one. You got monotheism and three separate differentiated realities that all equate to a one God. Yeah? So... Literally, in, in, in healthy theology, one plus one plus one equals one. One God. That just reminds you to stay humble before God. Your you're, 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 you're three-dimensional thinking, how arrogant for us to think that God must fit inside our three-dimensional reality. He doesn't. And so all your words, all your examples fall short because God is more. Yeah, But he says, let me give you the closest picture of the mystery of the Trinity. It's marriage. It's marriage in a healthy way. Where you literally, if you have two healthy different people, but they come together and they work on this oneness, one flesh that sex is a symbol of. That's why God says save it for, for, for the covenant. Every now and then, Rhonda and I, you and your husband, you and your wife, wow, we're really, we're really in this together. But we're separate people. That's the closest you'll ever get to understand the Trinity. And so that's why the devil goes after marriages. That's why he 
wants to destroy families because he doesn't want anything close to the image of God that people can see here. So again, divorce was, and it's never God's ideal. What God wanted, what God joined together, let not man separate. Well, now you have the ordeal. That's the ideal. Now the ordeal is, is people are getting hurt and people are throwing people to the curb and people are divorcing and people are separating. And now God says, let me protect as best I can the people that are caught in the pain of it. And that is including make sure the certificate of divorce. So again, some sad teacher types, well, therefore God approves it. He doesn't approve it, but he does allow it. But when you do it, you protect those who can't protect themselves. So uh, there, there, there that is. But let's keep going here. So now the, the last two verses of Mark chapter 10. So again, I want you to notice Jesus doesn't specifically answer their question. And he frustrates the Pharisees again because he says nothing that would get him arrested, okay? And, uh, but then the disciples, they want more. They're, they're saying, hmm, ooh, yeah, that's good. But it goes right over their head, right? And so now when that night they're alone again, more training of the 12, I love this. Hey, Jesus, can we, can we, can we understand more? And here, here we go. Look at Mark 10, 10 through 12. And underneath that is divorce is usually not the right option. This is the third uh, truth from this Judean trap and uh, what Jesus said and didn't say. And now let, let's see it. So divorce is usually not the right option. What does that mean? God never commands divorce. Let me just say it now and I'll unpack it. There are some divorces that isn't sin. All divorce grieves God because God wants oneness. But in some scenarios, sin doesn't cause divorce. Uh, or sin caused it, but it is not sin to divorce. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. So divorce is usually not the right option. Because right after the bat, if there's sexual infidelity back in those days, it was not sin to divorce. And it's not sin to divorce today, according to Scripture, when sexual unfaithfulness is involved. He doesn't command it. He doesn't just always tell you to do it. But he allows you to go ahead and go to God and get a green light if sexual infidelity is a reality. So divorce is usually not the right option back then and today. How do I unpack this? Let's, let's go. Look at Mark 10, 10 through 12. And in the house, later on, after the crowds go away and the Pharisees go away, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, here's the deal. If Jesus would have said this in the crowd, he could have gotten arrested. But he wanted, he, he needed more training. He needed to go ahead and do some more time. And then he's going to go ahead and go to the garden and uh, let Judas do his thing. So notice what he says to the 12, though. And he said to them, guys, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. That would have got Jesus arrested because they would have inferred, oh, you're saying Herod and Tippus did something wrong. Herodias did something wrong. <coughs> and most likely he would be done. But he says this privately to the 12. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Here's what I believe. I believe he's specifically talking about Herod and Tippus and Herodias. Because notice this, the question was man to woman. But he says both because I, I believe Herod and Tippus and Herodias are both right here. And I don't want you, even in the Greek spells this out, don't disjoint this too much. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another. The idea there is I'm going to divorce to marry her. I'm going to divorce to marry him. And, and what, what Jesus is saying is, guys, 
that grieves God's heart. And there is adultery that is fueling this. And then if she, and he goes after, it's not just the guys doing it. If the gals are doing it to marry another, to have a hots for another, whatever, um, that would be adultery as well. So again, uh, tough stuff. But again, I want you to see something that the disciples have already heard. So Jesus is the one bringing up adultery. He's the one that says, if you are married here, but are having the hots there, and you do something about it, then that's adultery. Jesus knows that they already heard about a year and a half earlier the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's kind of Jesus' uh, stump speech. You can read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It takes about 15 minutes. We took two years to study that some years ago. And, and, and the reason is, Jesus didn't teach for 15 minutes. That was a summary of, of, of an afternoon, okay? And that is the same uh, sub-sermon, summary sermon, that he gave all over the place. But notice what Jesus says when he wasn't set up to be trapped. Notice what Jesus says about adultery. And this is about them back then and about you and I today. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, 27 and 28. So what is adultery? Obviously, adultery includes if I'm married to Rhonda, but I have a heart for Rhoda, whatever, and, uh, and I do something about it, uh, that, that's adultery. And, uh, but Jesus raises the bar. He raises the bar to humble every single one of us. Look at Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment, Exodus 20. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I'm going to raise the bar here. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, I call that the second look. First look, not a sin. Second look, that's sin. That's lust. It's like, whoa, whoa, yeah? And uh, who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, man, that's humbling. And here, let, me, let me summarize Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You need grace. That's the whole thing. He literally says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this, and you can't reach this. Therefore, you need Jesus. You need grace. Because literally, he sets up that everybody needs Jesus because no one can get to heaven without him. That's the Sermon on the Mount. So, and this is part of what Jesus is doing, raising, raising the bar. So, where have we been? Three truths from this Judean trap uh, based on two conversations that Jesus had with the Pharisees and Jesus had with the 12. But now I'm going to go ahead and go a little farther here. So, Bob, so far, divorce is not commanded. Divorce is permitted, and some divorces are not sin. Uh, and so far, it's because of sexual unfaithfulness as described in the book of Deuteronomy and what Jesus said. Let me unpack that a little bit more. Thank you, Matthew. Okay, so you have Mark 10, you have Matthew 19. Matthew is the tax collector, the note taker, the detailed writer. Okay, so he gives a little bit more detail that we can be thankful for. So this is the parallel passage to Mark 10. Hang with me, this is good stuff. Take a look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. And I say to you, guys, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, there it is, 
and marries another, commits adultery. So yes, sexual immorality, if the spouse, man or woman, commits it, does it, God allows divorce, and it is not sin to do so, based on the fact that they broke the oneness by being physically one with another while they are still married to you. That's what Jesus said. Did you know that God got divorced? Back in Jeremiah, in this context of this, well, if you're going to divorce, make sure you give them a certificate of the divorce. This is exactly what God did. Because of his bride's sexual infidelity. Let me give you an interesting passage. Jeremiah chapter 3, 6 through 8. See, God had a bride in the Old Testament. The bride of the New Testament and the now is the church of which Jews and Gentiles are together. Back then, it was Israel for this time. And they covenanted together. They committed to one another. But one was unfaithful. One slept around. Take a look at what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. I'm not going to spend a little bit of time there, but contextually, he had a tough job. Hey, Jeremiah, I want you to go speak to people who are committed to keep their hands over their ears. They're not going to listen. They're not going to want to listen because they're not going to hear what they want to hear. But I want to give you one last chance before I bring judgment. And notice what Jeremiah 3, 6 through 8 says. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, one of the few godly kings, uh, Judah, southern kingdom, have you seen what she did? The faithless one, people of Israel, how this people, she, my bride, went up on every hill and under every green tree and there played the whore where she chose to be unfaithful or she chose to sleep with someone else. And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. That's important. That's something to consider. It wasn't just a one thing. God was hoping she would repent and return. She never did. She kept moving farther and farther away and sleeping with others more and more and more. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Other people are saying it. They're thinking, well, gosh, you know, if she's getting away with that, maybe I can too. Look at verse 8. She saw that for all of the adulteries of that faithless people, Israel, I sent her away with the decree of divorce. It's not sin because infidelity was involved. Some of you, you've had some false guilt thinking, you know what? Because he or she slept around and did this and this as a pattern that was not repented of and there was no hope of rebuilding. The oneness was broken. I divorced. Hear me. I don't believe that was sin. And if it was sin, then God would need to be forgiven as well. Let me ask you another question then. So, Bob, if, if sexual immorality, infidelity, unfaithfulness is part of it, is there anything else that would warrant divorce that would not be seen as sin in God's eyes? I'm going to give you one more, and I'm going to give you another one that is contested by some. 
sake of time, we're not going to go there. 1 Corinthians 7, write it down. 1 Corinthians 7, I believe non-believer and believer. Uh, people call themselves believers, but it's measured by their fruits in, in, in their life. And uh, abandonment. If someone abandons you, starts building a life apart from you, moves from you, doesn't want to live with you, doesn't want to be with you, and starting to rewire their life away from you, that's abandonment. And God says that it's not sin to divorce if they've already made a decision to break the oneness with you. 1 Corinthians 7. And here's, here's, here's the tough one. Well, Bob, is that a week? Is that a month? Is that a year? Here's what I know. I know that God will tell you when that qualifies as abandonment. If you ask him and you let him have the last word. But if you've already made up your mind and you've already decided what you're going to do and you're basically going to God for approval, you're not going to get much back. But if you're seeking what abandonment is in your situation, God will reveal that to you. And I've had the difficult privilege of walking with many through that. Sexual immorality, abandonment, clear in Scripture. Let me give you one that's not so clear. I believe it's clear, but other pastors, other writers would disagree. Abuse. I believe abuse breaks the oneness, not, not just one moment, but an abuser that is unwilling to repent and get the help that they need where you are unsafe, you are to separate at the very least. And God just might give you a green light to divorce. Go to God on that. Speak to God on that. Let him have the last word on that. But I realize the last one is, uh, is uh, not a consensus among Christ followers, but I've walked with too many people through that one. And uh, I would say at the very least, if you are under verbal and or physical abuse, you need to at least separate. I'm not talking about a grumpy guy or gal after a hard day of work. I'm talking about a pattern of verbal abuse that's breaking your soul. That's not healthy for you. That's not what God would have for you. And you need to get out of that. You need to separate from that and get some help. You have found a church, Grace Point Church, a bunch of imperfect people, but we want to and desire to walk in the light. And we are here for you. Both of you. So, um, so, so there that is. But now I'm going to turn a page. Because here's the deal. Now let's move away from Old Testament and New Testament context to today's context. Here's what I know. Here's what I know confidently. Most divorces that I have witnessed, that I have been grieved over, and hear me, I'm grieved over every divorce. But most divorces happen not because of sexual immorality, not because of abandonment, and not because of abuse. Most divorces happen, even in churches, are because you have lost that loving feeling. You just don't have the buzz anymore. You're just not as happy as you once were. And Pastor Bob, don't I have the right to be happy? Don't I have the right to live with and be married to someone that makes me happier than she or he makes me? 
Isn't that somewhere in the Bible that I am to go ahead and pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? That's not in the Bible, by the way. Let me give you two more truths from this very tough topic and a sensitive Sunday because some of you, if you left here, you would have the wrong idea. Let me give you uh, a couple of truths here, two more truths for today. Here's the first one. A bad marriage is never okay with God. Some of you, you, you believe that. I made a commitment before God to stay married. I can't point to sexual immorality. I can't point to abandonment, and I can't point to a level of abuse that I would deem corrosive to my soul. So I guess God just wants me to grind it out. And I guess that's what would please God, that I stay in a lousy marriage for 40, 50 years. And then at the pearly gates, you're going to hear, you know, Bob or whoever, good job. Your marriage sucked. It was lousy. It was terrible every single day. But you stayed with it. You grinded through it. And I'm so proud of you. That's not even close to God's heart. Some of you, you are in a lousy marriage. And some of you, you're not even thinking about doing anything about it because you made a commitment. Let me tell you, biblically, the commitment that God wants us to make in our marriages is not a cold contract where you just stay roommates underneath one roof for life because, doggone it, that's what God wants. That is not what God wants. God does not want you to stay in a lousy marriage without walking in the light, calling it what it is, and getting the help you need. A bad marriage is never okay with God. I remember my dad, and we are good friends, and I honor him when I say this, and because uh, we have talked. My dad eventually divorced my mom, but 10 years earlier, I remember him saying this. We're not happy, but I'm not going anywhere because I made a commitment, and I'm going to stick it out. You know, he stuck it out for 10 years, but he didn't do anything about how lousy it was. And he should have gotten help. He should have gotten counsel. And the church that he was part of should have seen the signs. And they should have had a few brothers and sisters, never, never to talk about them, but talk with them. How are you guys? How can we help? If you're just sticking it out, that is grieving God. So stop it. So now what can you do about it? A bad marriage is never okay with God. Uh, let me give you something about that. This won't take me this long. I know I'm on borrowed time now. Actually, I reread a book by a guy named Daniel Goleman called Emotional Intelligence. He's a Harvard PhD type. Most likely he's not a Christ follower because he doesn't claim to be. But there's some good stuff. And honestly, all truth is God's truth. And he did a lot of uh, diligent research that obviously... I bring all of his research through the grid of God's word, and you should too. And, uh, but I felt like he had something interesting to say, 
and I want to share this with you. Actually, he references another guy named John Gottman. Uh, he's from the University of Washington, and he is a psychologist. John Gottman, University of Washington, psychologist. And uh, this other guy uh, is really more of a researcher. Well, John Gottman, bless his heart, uh, I don't think it was worth getting published for it. He spent 20 years listening to arguing couples, 20 years. And so what he did for 20 years, he took the science approach and he put couple after couple for 20 years in a room and then he put sensors on them and he monitored them, including muscle reaction, facial expression. I mean, honestly, he went to town and he videotaped them. And so he puts... Uh, the, these couples in a room, and then he videos them, he, he, he censors them, and he says, guys, what has caused disagreements in your life so far? Could you talk about that? So then they argue, argue, argue. And then after a while, they stop the recording, they leave, and then they bring, he brings the guy and the gal back separately, and uh, then they watch the narrative, and they comment on it. Does that make sense? And so after 20 years, after his research and conclusions, this guy statistically says that I can predict after my research which couples will divorce within three years. And he was right with 94% accuracy. 94% accuracy after doing this censors and listening and, 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 and observing he can say with 94% accuracy, yeah, after three years, you're out, you're going to stay. And then he writes about this, and the other guy, uh, Daniel Goldman, says, yeah, I'm going to put that in my book. And so, personally, again, I don't think it was worth 20 years of listening to that to get published, yeah? But let me tell you what, he, what, what he's doing, and here they are. Let me give you four danger signs. And this won't take me that long because, literally, I don't want to leave you with, you know what, I'm going to grind it out. Don't grind anything out. Grow. Get help. But know the danger signs. And here they are. And he would say, and he does say, all four of these show up in every marriage. But the healthier ones don't allow it to become a pattern. And so here we go. Here's the first one. Four danger signs. Criticism and attack on the person. He defines criticism opposed to complaint. And what is that? A complaint is... You are frustrated. You express your frustration because of something someone does. Everybody does that. Honestly, that's healthy. That's normal. So if you, as a husband, say after work, I'm going to go to Trader Joe's. I'm going to pick up pasta so we can come home and cook your spaghetti so that we will be ready when people come over. And I forget to pick up the pasta. That's frustrating. Healthy marriages you can complain. You said you would remember. Why didn't you write it down? It's not the first time you forgot. I know you got a lot going on. But now either you or I need to go get the pasta and dinner's going to be late. And we got friends coming over in about 10 minutes. That's complaint. There's nothing wrong with that. You need to have a safe enough relationship to express your frustrations based on the issues. What someone says they'll do and what someone does. Here's where he says it moves from complaint to criticism. It's when you not just attack the problem, the pasta, whatever, you attack the person. 
Bob, it's just like you to forget. You are just like your father. I bet you he forgot pasta too. Something like that. What I'm saying is, it's no longer about what I did. It's about who I am and how I displease her. Does that make sense? Every time you move from that to him or her, it's hard. And we all do it. I guess you move, along, you move away from the what and labeling the who. Watch out for that because that, that's a danger sign. That damages that damages a relationship. And that'll quickly move to the second one, contempt, an attitude of disgust. No longer are you just talking about late pasta. No longer are you talking about how a person is a forgetter, a person is untrustworthy, and you're just like blah, blah, blah. That, that's never good, by the way. Now, contempt, an attitude of disgust, and now you move away from the pasta scenario, you're selfish. You're self-absorbed. It's not just this. You disgust me. Do you see what happened here? It's no longer about the dinner scenario that went bad because someone's forgot the pasta because they're forgetful, irresponsible, untrustworthy. Now you're broadening the label. You're just selfish. It's not just this. It's everything about you. You disgust me. And what he says is, that's a real danger. And what that will prompt, literally he says, is quickly prompt number three, because that's really hard to hear. It prompts defensiveness, the blame game. It's interesting. What he said was, uh, where's, the, where's the stat here? And uh, I want to get this right. 85%. Well, no, that, that's, that's a little bit later on. All right, let me, let me, let me, let me deal with this one first. So defensiveness. Uh, the, the blame game. So what this is, is, well, rather than focus on whether or not I'm irresponsible or whether or not I'm selfish, I need to go ahead and deflect and defend. Well, you know why I probably forgot to get the pasta? It's because your pasta sauce is so bad, maybe I don't want to offer our friends and family what you cook. You see how that happened is? I'm not the only, you're the one. You burned something last week or something like that. So rather than working on our stuff, rather than taking responsibility for what we forgot or what we did and why we did it, we defend ourselves. How many times do we defend ourselves when we know we're wrong? It's just so normal and so sad. But now we defend and we deflect by telling them what they do wrong. That's a danger sign. There's nothing healthy about that. And uh, so, again, uh, criticism, contempt, defensiveness. Finally, let's go to the next one. I'll give, you, I'll give you a stat here, stonewalling. So here's what happens. After all that, then one person typically says, you know, I'm out of here. And, and, and most of the time, stonewalling is to not escalate the situation anymore. Most stonewallers have good intentions. I don't want to get in trouble anymore. I don't want to go ahead and... Uh, and, and make the matters worse. So I'm going to go ahead and pull it back. I'm going to go ahead and remove myself. This is the stat that I found interesting. When he did all his research, 85% of the relationships that Gottman observed, it was the husband who stonewalled in response to a wife's uh, expressions of a level of criticism and or contempt. And uh, they often believe they're doing the right thing. But in reality... 
when you think you're doing the right thing, your strategy of silence is saying something. And what the other person is hearing is, I am not worth engaging. You don't value me by talking to me. So again, uh, one removes and the other feels rejected. All that to say is, read some books, get some help, get some counsel, be part of a church, but don't put up with a lousy marriage. And again, this is just one example that if one or more of these are starting to find a rut in your relationship, you're in trouble. And I don't want you to get used to it. I want you to get back to God's ideal. And we want to help you get closer to that. All right, I'm going to, one last one. So here's the second one. I got to go here. Listen to me, a bad marriage is never okay with God, but divorce is always forgivable by God. In a crowd this size, let me tell you something. Some of you have been divorced because of sexual immorality and or abandonment and or abuse. That was not sin. There are some of you, Bob, I have been divorced, and in all honesty, I can't point to one of those three. What does God say about that? Well, he calls that sin. But what he also says is divorce, like any sin, is always forgivable by God. Listen to me. Don't stay here with the heaviness of guilt on your shoulders because your shoulders can't handle it. If you sinned in any way, including divorcing when God would have wanted you to push and try another door, just, God, I need to ask your forgiveness. I was wrong when I did what I did. Just don't defend it. Don't excuse it. Just call it. And then receive the grace from God. You don't have to tell other people. But God is waiting for you to confess. You know what the word confess means? It means to agree with God. He already knows it. Jesus already died for it. And he truly wants you to know you're forgiven from it. I'm going to end here, finally, with Romans chapter 3. I'm going to get out of marriage. I'm going to get out of divorce. But I'm going to stay in the arena that we're all sinners. And we all need grace. And we all can't get to heaven. We all can't have intimacy with a holy God without lots of help. Take a look at Romans 3. Just put down the pens and pencils. Let me just pour this passage over you. For by works of the law, no human being will ever be justified in his sight because we all fall short. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who trust, for all who believe. Why is grace good news? For all have sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. But we all can be justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Man, that is good news. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for an opportunity to be uncomfortable this morning as we address something highly touchy. 
Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you don't leave us after we go our own way. Father, I pray for the victims in this community. I pray that they won't take on any more responsibility than they should. I pray that you would communicate to them your delight in them and how hard their decisions have been. I pray for those who really are more aware this morning of their sin. I know how the devil wants to come at them and accuse them and harass them and abuse them. God, I pray a hedge of protection around them. I pray that grace would be so loud in their life that as they are exposed, that they would experience you in a very fresh way. And they would cry out again for grace. Father, I pray that Grace Point Church would be a place of authenticity and healing. I pray that many here, that hear and are here, hear my voice and are here physically, that God, we would take a step towards you. We would not wait to be any less broken. We would not wait to be any less sinful. But God, we would approach the throne of grace right now and ask your Holy Spirit to bring the healing, to bring the fulfillment that comes from your presence, that we can walk out of here confident in our relationship with you and humble because we sure need a lot of help. And God, I pray for the marriages in this room, starting with mine. Father, I pray that we would walk in the light. Marriage is hard. Life is hard. We pray to the God who can raise the dead. I pray you'd do it again. I pray you'd move the bad to the good. I pray you'd move the good to the great. And you do the miracle, God, that is needed to do what is needed. And may you have all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I know this was touchy, and I'm glad that not many of you walked out of here too early, okay? But here's the deal. Don't, don't think about kids and car keys right now. Here's what I need you to do. Just trust me on this one. You need to have some truth poured over you in worship. You might not want to sing. Maybe you shouldn't sing, but you do need to hear this song. You need to reflect on this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't what you should stand, sit, or whatever, but you need to listen, and you need to respond. So let God love you in the last few minutes, and I'll be right back.
that you have your throne within my heart. I'm going to sing this one more time. I hear you. I hear you call. I am available. I say, oh, yes, Lord, I am available. been around our church uh, for a little while you maybe have heard me say that, you know what do we want from Sunday morning for you uh, not just to inspire you inspiration doesn't last but a few minutes uh, inspiration is just more emotional uh, talk about inspiration without application just leads to frustration uh, I'm not here to pump you up and make you laugh or cry whatever I don't play the Holy Spirit in your life but uh, what I do desire for you and desire for me as we move to action and w basically what that means is every Sunday every small group every solitude every time I I approach God uh, with you or with m just with myself what does yes Lord look like say a yes this morning that's my point don't leave here just feeling ooey gooey feelings aren't going to last in, uh, until you get in your car what does yes say yes Lord you just sang it I want you to do it what does yes look like for you I have no idea what that means for you. I do know what it means for me. And uh, so say yes this morning. Some of you say yes to salvation. Say yes against religion, churchianity. Say yes to, you know what, I've been my boss up to this point. I'm kind of trying to build my own resume to get to God on my own. No more. I'm going Jesus' way. I, I, I ask him to forgive me and, 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 and be my Savior and Lord I need him. I need his spirit in me to fuel what I can't muster the power on my own. Some of you, you do need to start taking a good look at your relationships and your habits. Some of you, you know what it is. Say yes this morning, and God will meet you with his presence and power. Uh, one yes you might need to make is how to build community at Grace Point Church. And again, there's a lot of great opportunities around our church uh, let me just give you three for me, and then Rick's going to come in and give you a, a, a few more. Uh, I just started a brand new men's study on Saturday morning. We've got a bunch of men's studies, uh, uh, and, and find, you can find them on our website. I'm doing something brand new to deal with authentic masculinity from a biblical lens. And uh, it's not too late. This was week one, last yesterday, 7 o'clock in the morning. It's really early. I only want really committed men, you know. So 7 in the morning. If you want to come 7, 8, 29, we're going to do this. But I'll tell you, uh, probably after this coming week, I'm going to shut it down because it's starting to build. And so um, if you want to get on it, uh, get on it. And uh, that, that, that would just be one. So that's, uh, that's Saturday morning, 7 o'clock, and we're filling up this room over here. 
And then uh, we made a change related to young adults and young marrieds. I am really enjoying tu uh, Tuesday night. I get it with a bunch of young adults in our student ministry building, and we go through this Gospel of Mark, and we, 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 we enjoy and, and grow together. So that's Tuesday night, young adults. Uh, the young marrieds are moving and doing their own thing starting Monday night. And so uh, Matt and Jenny are leading a group. I think there's like five or six young couples. Uh, they've been married for a while, uh, five, six years or less-ish around there, but no kids. And so if, you, if that's kind of you, uh, uh, jump on that train. It's a good one. And so that, that's, that's Monday night. Wednesday night, Pastor Rick's going to come up. And boy, we got marriage studies. we got a life after 50 studies. There's a lot of opportunities. I'm going to let him wrap it up. But maybe the yes is, you know what? I want to be known here. I want to build friends here. And we want to encourage you to do just that. Grace Point, I'd be negligent on a day like today not to talk about the, uh, the wonderful group that we've got going on Wednesdays at 6.15 in room B on the corner here. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great book that we're going through, Sacred Marriage, good material that goes with it. Um, I'd like to think I have a, a contribution to make in there, but if I'm really honest with you, the real value in this is the, uh, the other couples that are going to be part of this with us, walking that journey together of of how do we create a marriage that makes us holy, not just happy. Um, that's what God wants our marriages to be. And uh, if, if that strikes a chord with you, come join us. It's not too late. We're, we're two weeks in, but uh, still plenty of room for other people who might want to join. So I, I do encourage you to, to do that. If you're at all available Wednesdays at 6.15, come on by. We'll get you in the group. Um, next thing is Sunday. Uh, if you can attend the first service and not this one, do so, and then come with me to, uh, to room 1A. That's the room just past the restrooms. We're doing a, a class called Ministry Essentials. And uh, if you have been a part of this church for some time and you're, you're looking for the next step, the next way to be involved, this is the class for you. You can come, and we got some, some tools to help you think through what God's created you to be, how you can plug in, how you can invest into this place. And just in the process, you're going to learn about how this church works and, and what it takes to keep it alive. And I, I'm real excited for that. Hope to see you all there. Uh, if I don't see you Wednesday, I'll see you next Sunday. God bless everyone.